you were, uh, and you were running on empty. And I thank you, the emotionally stunted Milk Canes, everybody. What the hell is all that racket? Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I gotta take the little guys to the pet today, so thought I'd just bring them in here while we did the show. The little guys? I think you're scaring me now. Oh, well, sorry. I, I thought you knew about them. Yeah, they're uh, fallopian racing hamsters. I had them for a little while now. Uh, they're due for some shots and stuff, so I... <laughs> Wait, what? I thought you couldn't abide that crazy wildlife stuff. Although, uh, come to think of it, you do seem a wee fine of that uh, exotic pet monthly magazine I have out in the foyer. Is this... It's so damn cute. An endless funnel of awe and mystery. Mr. Milk Canes, everybody. Oh, my God. So, uh, welcome, one and all, to Fusebox number 24. I'm your authentically regenerated host, Mark Rose, and... Uh, we have some interesting topics to gnaw on this time. A uh, new Twisted Epiphanies written by Jody Lorimer entitled Grandmother. A spotlight on film segment where we'll chat about a relatively new documentary called I Dream of Wires. But first, a tale of woe. Were they out of Pez at the 7-Eleven? Oh, if it were only so. No. So, as I mentioned on the last installment of Fusebox, um, you're going to be okay in there, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just excited by all the flashing lights and stuff. Oh, they'll be fine. That is one frightful racket. All right. All right, all right, just just checking. So what I was saying was, on the last program, I had mentioned that we were going to be launching a new website for the Fusebox show, uh, not one connected to Facebook or any of that, just a freestanding old school kind of thing, right? And uh, we've been happily slogging away at content. Uh, well, we're happily slogging away now. Uh, you see, uh, as many folks do these days, websites are constructed pretty much anymore through the use of WordPress or templates like that. There's a bunch of them out there. And there's thousands of templates out there that you can customize and give your own personal spin to. And I certainly gave this one a spin. For the Fuse Audio Design webpage, I had uh, the extremely competent assistance from friend and audio drama colleague Jamie Lawson in that process, which uh, made it probably, no joke, the most uncomplicated web adventure I'd ever had. So naturally, I thought, hey... Maybe for this Fusebox site, I should give it a try myself. It looks fairly straightforward, according to these vague and falsified tutorials I see right here. How hard can it be? So I start the process. Download the little WordPress thingy and the, the theme thingy. 
and, and then endeavor to start configuring this database file as you're instructed to do. Tweak all that PHP stuff and, and then, you know, it seems fine until the upload process. At upon which time, I uh, successfully manage to screw up the database connection to the site so that you're now greeted with a uh, delightful, and I do mean just tantalizingly horrid, white page with a horrible Times Roman type stating... Error cannot connect to database. Yeah, yeah, that was bad enough, okay? I mean, somebody should, should actually be taken out and summarily shot for that typeface. But come to find out, somehow, in addition to this manglement that I just did, I also managed to mangle the Fuse audio site, took it completely offline as well. Because we got... Error cannot connect to database. There as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, that's why they have this thing called an expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know. So, uh, between an impassioned plea to Jamie and uh, chatting with the, the host for the two aforementioned sites, we did get it wrangled out. And uh, soon uh, the show site will be up, and I'm sure we'll regale you all with warm welcomes and all that fun stuff. But there's just this odd feeling about being unrepresented on the interwebs, particularly once you've already have been there. For even a brief time, it's, it's, it's most curious. It's that, that kind of sinking feeling that gives way almost immediately to shock and then rage and then some sinking feeling again and then rage and then more sinking. See, this is why I just stay the hell out of those waters. And I'm not a technophobe. Perhaps a wise man to do so. You know, and here's the funny thing, is it, it actually makes me want to learn more about this so I can avoid silly things like that in the future. Swimming with sharks, I know. Delegate, man. You gotta know when to delegate your time. Because, you know, you can... Oh! Oh, for crying out loud. Hey, 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 come back here, you little... Oh, no. Tell me it's not so. Son of a gun! They got loose? Well, well, not all of them. But one or two, maybe. No, no, it's so hard to tell because they clump together so tightly when they're not racing around. Oh, crying out loud. Hey, hey, man. You need some help in that? I mean, we can take a... Well, you know, in theory, that would be great. Except I'm afraid that if you come in here, one will buzz out the door. But, all right. Well, let's take a little break and uh, see if we can restore some order and decorum, shall we? <laughs> Press five if you can reach it. <laughs> a tender moment between Sigmund Freud and his mother. So, did you kill your daddy, baby? Yeah, mommy. Good boy. Now. Give Mama a big sloppy kiss. <laughs> well, one of them might have gotten through the air. Wow, you think so? Well, that, that cover is just slightly bent. How would they get in there? 
They can squeeze in between pretty easily. Well, they are. I mean, yeah. I mean, they are. They're small. They're really small. Um. Well. Okay, I'll tell you what. I um. I want to do the spotlight on film thing. So by the time it takes me to get back there, why don't you just, you know, cue up the the ID thing? We'll keep our eyes open. I mean, yeah, I'll, you know, yeah, how far yeah, can they go? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Spotlight on film. So I uh, I wanted to alert you all about another wonderful geek fest of a documentary that's been uh, recently added to the Netflix library. And uh, once again, one I can highly recommend for your viewing pleasure. It's entitled I Dream of Wires and is released through another DVD company of, of renown, First Run Features. Check them out. They've got some fascinating stuff on their roster as well. And this documentary is the work of uh, filmmaker Robert Fontanato and Jason Am and uh, concerns itself with the rise, the fall, and the eventual rebirth of the modular synthesizer. Now, for those who do not know what a modular synthesizer is, you will certainly find out in this film. But in, in short, let me just tell you that back in the mid-60s, there was a great deal of experimentation being done, the least of which by Robert Moog, uh, with a, a kind of box that made a lot of noise. And it didn't have a keyboard. It just had a bunch of holes in the front. And you could take these little six, seven-inch patch cords and fly one into one input and fly the other end and some other input and see what you get. And uh, it had a massive array of knobs and switches and all sorts of things. And these things were big. They really were. They were good size. The, the, the Moog modular was heavy. <laughs> and uh, probably if you, if you got it fully decked out, somewhere between five and five and a half feet high, <laughs> this thing was really big. So when I was growing up, I had the good fortune of uh, knowing a couple of people who had a piano and organ store in uh, California. And at this particular time, they had in their possession, in the back room, an ARP 2600, which was ARP's version of the Moog modular. This too was ginormous, but it had a keyboard, which was kind of cool. But uh, the other thing that was kind of cool about it was that uh, it had knobs and stuff, but it also had these neat little slider thingies and an arpeggiator. You could take a series of notes and, and cause it to kind of play up and down and backwards and all kinds of weird things. No one had really done that in this way prior to ARP. And uh, this keyboard became mythical, as I say. It, it was used extensively on the Who's Who's Next album, among other things. Pink Floyd's used, everybody's used this thing. It's, it's ubiquitous at one point there. But it was extremely expensive, again, and heavy. And, uh, but again, very important, it had this smell. And I can't tell you, uh, something about the vinyl they used on the sides of this thing, I don't know what it was, or maybe it was just the little ribbon controly thing that they had on top of the keyboard. I don't know what it was, but it had a very unique odor. I convinced these folks to let me just sit in the back room there, got a pair of headphones and just uh, sat around there and twiddled knobs all day and I was just as happy as a clam. Some would say you still do that. Yes, they would. And they'd be right. But uh, like I say, these devices were, um, they were the cutting edge technology at the time. 
And as time went on, Bob Moog decided that he was going to figure out a way to simplify this and make it more affordable to the working musician because honestly, the only people that could afford boxes like this were the Keith Emersons and the Pink Floyds and all that. But the other thing was, and this was kind of important and can be demonstrated, uh, it had this odd proclivity, most of them did, that when the circuits got hot in these things, the oscillator would drift. Now, it might drift sharp or it might drift flat. But whatever it did, it would drift off your original note, which would cause it to be detuned in probably a much less than delightful fashion. And if you want to hear an example of this, this is on YouTube, I'm sure. Go listen to the full cut of a track by Herbie Hancock called Chameleon. It's on the Headhunters album. And uh, Herbie's using a, I think he's using a Moog of some kind, but it's... He's in the midst of a solo there, and it's a, it's a very nice solo, and he's in the midst of it, and all of a sudden, you, you hear it. It starts to drift. It drifts sharp, actually, and then uh, really drifts sharp, and then they make an edit, <laughs> and they pick up the track uh, you know, in a vamp section which is probably a logical thing to do because back in the day, you know, you got everybody pumping, you're in the same room, you're all, you know, getting the vibe going and you're not going to go back and, you know, fix that. So, because first of all, once those oscillators drift, it would take you a while to get it back. It would have to, you know, it would literally have to cool down to get back to, to where it was or you would have to overcompensate for, for where it was positioned to get it back to that state. And then, of course, it would drift the other way. <laughs> so there's all that. Very organic. But... uh a very interesting example of that, as this film points out through time, after uh, Moog designed ways to uh, produce this device a little more cost-effectively, then everybody got into the act with it. And shortly thereafter, a huge public distaste for all things synth happened, uh, heralded by this thing called the punk movement, where the guitar bands kind of took over and that was that. And uh, so... All this synth stuff kind of went away for a while, and certainly the modular stuff just kind of evaporated because there were only a handful of people making these things in the first place. As the film brings out here, I think it was uh, probably about 20 years ago that a resurgence in modular synthesis started happening again. Why? Well, people were getting really tired of presets, and they really weren't wanting to spend the energy to get in there and program things because it's not that hands-on these days. It's you know, it's like your phone. You're you're going through menus to go find menus, to go find things, to adjust something. It's not too much fun. There is something tactile about having it right there in front of you where you can make an adjustment and see what it does immediately. A couple of smaller companies decided that they were going to repurpose the modular idea in a shorter format and still utilize a lot of the same technologies and redesign their own circuits in many cases. But but the, the long and the short of it was they're going to make it affordable to everybody. And that's what's happened. So you've got these modular boxes now that are very cost effective, a couple of hundred bucks in some cases, that you can just add in, in a um, what they call a Euro rack style. And you can just keep adding these modules until you, you know, covered your entire bedroom. They've got really great interviews on here with people like Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, Gary Newman, Morton Sabotnik, Vince Clark of Erasure. Uh, Sabotnik's interesting in that he's one of a handful of people they interviewed on here who actually designed circuits himself back in the day, not for 
retail sale, but for him, his own use. So he knows what it's like <laughs> from the ground up. So I would say all in all, I dream of wires. Definitely worth the time. And uh, it's on Netflix right now. It's also available from First Run Features. And uh, I would... Holy <laughs> mackerel! What is... Whoa! Oh, for Christ! Whoa! Cheap! Hey! Okay! Um, let me, uh, hey, can you, can you punch me? You okay in there? Uh, yeah, let me get up. Whoa! I kind of wondered if, he, if he'd run that way, but... Wow. Man, those things are fast. I'll run around back and make sure they don't squeak out a drain or something. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you could put an eye out with one of those. Know what I'm saying? Wow. So, let's see if we can uh, get ourselves back on track here. Oh, my God. Uh, see, I thought I was the exotic animal guy. I guess, I guess I'm, uh, I don't know. You know, I've owned a lot of weird things, but those are weird. I got to tell you, those are weird. Just saying. I know, but they're just so damn cute. So, uh, as is the way on these programs... From time to time, I like to present some uh, spoken word selections that are in a collection we're amassing here called Twisted Epiphanies. Oh, and, and by the way, somebody had asked where that name had come from. It was actually suggested by Gerald McQuen, who is a, a frequent creative collaborator on these programs in a variety of ways. And uh, he was doing this a series called Torque, which is uh, strictly prose. And I said, you know, we got all these weird oddball things. Well, you know, I want to put them all together or something, but I don't know what. And he suggested Twisted Epiphanies. And, of course, that's <laughs> kind of where we're going from here. And here's one now. This little gem, crafted by the wonderfully quirky and always surprising mind of Jody Lorimer. Uh, Jody also reads this piece entitled Grandmother. She sat quietly, stroking the long, stiff hairs on her legs. It soothed her, this petting, while she waited for the animal. It wouldn't be long now. From here, she could see the flickerings of goings-on below, faint sounds, a flash of movement, the buzzing of familiar voices, rising and falling in an ancient cadence. And then, the sound of the new ones, drifting up and over like the frothy, sparkling foam of bubbles, riding over deep, churning water. They don't know our ways. How could they? They were delicate with a language that chirped and sang. They were restless and flitted from here to there, as if constantly afraid of being caught. They had flitted here, to her ancient home, probably to avoid being caught by something but she couldn't understand what. The new ones gestured and waved and twittered and fluttered, but it made no sense to her. At first, they thought the new ones were beautiful in a translucent sort of way, filmy and light. Soon enough, they began to seem breakable, dry twigs and weightless leaves carried by the breeze on a whim. She didn't like them, and it seemed they didn't like her, or the rest of her tribe. 
She thought they might be afraid because they judged them. They didn't know their ways. How could they? The time had come around to collect a new living place above the old and continue. They had all felt the light ancestors above resonate with the deep ground lines, drawing them, as it always did, to this place at this time. There could be no thought of not being here. It was ever so. It was simply the order of things. Yet after we had collected, and when we began to dig, to uncover the old living places, to bring the grandmothers up from the den of deep energy, as they must, to inhabit the new living place and radiate to the living, the new ones suddenly flew to a far corner and twittered nervously, waving their arms and fluttering. They were afraid of our slow and ancient ways, emerging from the sonic world, ways tied to the subterranean from the beginning, dwelling in darkness to absorb the deep rhythms that throbbed in us. We emerge when we must, as now. We are not at home in the bright air as they are. They don't understand our ways. How could they? Fragile little flittery things. A rumbling began within her. The animal, she could feel it. She had lived two other lives in two other forms, and this would be her third form and her third life. She would be a grandmother. At last, she arched forward, bending almost in half. Her breath shuddered, ripples quaked to her furthest extremities. She heaved very slowly, once, twice, and her back split open to reveal the soft, silvery carapace unfolding that, once revealed, would harden and endure. Then she would return to the new living place, a new, pregnant, and hungry creature. So if you enjoy those odd little sonic departures, please by all means let us know here at Fusebox because uh, we've got several more in the works and would be thrilled to hear from you. So judging by the old fallopian racing hamster on the wall... It's time for us to bid you adieu, and hopefully we'll find the remaining critters. Hey, should I go get uh, Eco and Milo to help you go look for them? You know, Japanese pocket squirrels are great little... Uh, you know, I don't know about that. What if they uh, get into some kind of disagreement? No, see, what you're really thinking is what if they get into some conspiratorial confab and plot a nefarious scheme to bring snow cones to the not-so-free world, huh? Isn't that right? Uh, actually, no. Grand. Okay. So, 
thanks are indeed in order for the glamorous vocal assistance of Carol Adams, Jody Lorimer, and Susan Zeitlin on this edition of Fusebox, and as always, the reliable but somewhat distracted Milt Keynes over there for technical assistance and fallopian racing hamster wrangling. Mr. Keynes. Pleasure was all yours. I have been your somewhat molting host, Mark Rose, reminding you to check out the Fusebox store where all manner of otherworldly delights await you. And uh, you can see a link in the show notes for that. And also by going to FuseAudioDesign.com and clicking the store menu item. Or just go to the Facebook page for the Fusebox show and click the always handy Shop Now button. And you will be deliriously whisked away to aforementioned store thing. Also, a most sincere thank you to Jamie Lawson for the late hour rescue of web entities. Whom, without missing a beat, righted all cyber wrongs in one deft motion. Maybe she should run for president. Just saying. Once again, friends, thanks for pushing play on this edition of Fusebox, and until our next cartoon. Fusebox.